Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Stories and scandal water. It's where you need to be. Stories and scandal water. Let's pour you a cup of tea. Hello, Ashley. Hello, Candy. How are you today? I am doing really well. How are you? I am super excited. You are? Why? I am because I I think our listeners have picked up on this by now, but I do not tell Ashley what our episodes are going to be about. She really comes into these cold. Sometimes. Now, I was thinking about this too, but you do sometimes give me homework. Like you told me to watch Cobra Kai. And I, I just I just okay. re-listened to that episode because mm-hmm. I was thinking about that too. I usually don't know, mm-hmm. but sometimes you'll say, I need you to watch this so that we can have a full conversation. Okay. That's a good qualifier. Yes. Most of the time you yes. don't know. But this particular episode, I think, is going to like really send Ashley over the edge. I think oh, she's gonna goodness. be I know. I think this is gonna be one that you are absolutely gonna love. Okay. And by the way, it doesn't matter whether she knows or not. She's always able to just pull all this information out of her head somehow. And so, um, and unlike the the other episode, I don't cheat. <laughs> she is referring back to Mr. Stemple. My neck was red, Candy. It was. You After were it was so over. angry. I was so mad at him. The injustice. You did not like the fact that he I did am not. An INFJ. Justice is part of that. Okay. okay. All no, right. That I'm makes sorry. sense. That makes sense. All right. It's still fresh. You'll. That's <laughs> the quiz show episode, guys. Just listen. Ashley's passion is real. Okay. But moving on to this episode. Yes. All right. Here we go. Ashley. Yes. I know you were a huge fan of WandaVision. Yes. Okay. Well, hang on. Okay. Spoilers for those of you who haven't seen it yet, but. To kind of get us into this particular topic today, I have to kind of give you a little context of something, right? Mm -hmm. Long about episode seven or eight of WandaVision, we discover that the reason why Wanda's world seems to flow like classic sitcoms is because when she was a child, she would watch all the old sitcoms to help learn English, but also because it was this comfort while she was mm-hmm. surrounded by such turmoil and mm-hmm. uncertainty. It was I feel just you, Wanda. I feel mm, you. it was just so peaceful and comforting to es- escape to a world where every problem could be fixed within this thirty-minute episode. Right. So my question to you: I, yeah. This is taking a little bit of a, a different path than what you're probably expecting, but okay. I'm just asking: of all the classic shows that WandaVision paid homage to during their series, yeah. which one of those did you enjoy the most? Okay, in what capacity are you asking? In which show did I watch and enjoy? Or which which show did I think they did the best job? You can approach it whichever way you like. Well, my answer is the Dick Van Dyke show. Okay. That was the show that I loved as a, a, a kid myself. That's the show that I watched and that I took comfort from because Dick Van Dyke is one of my favorite humans on the planet. <laughs> Tell me what you enjoyed about how WandaVision... 
piggybacked on the ideas and the the style of the Dick Van Dyke show. What did I enjoy about it? I liked the costuming. I liked the hair. But they also kind of put a little bit of Bewitched in there, too, because of the magic part. Mm -hmm. But I liked, um, gosh, I liked the set because the Mm -hmm. set was the exact set. And it all just, everything. I just liked everything. Okay. Okay. Well, you're about to like this episode, too. Is it about the Dick Van Dyke show? It's about the Dick Van Dyke show. I knew you would. I knew you'd be excited. Yes. Oh, okay. It was so funny, guys. I think we mentioned this in a different episode, but although we have been taping and recording for quite some time, we actually just are coming up on our launch date on October 12th as we're taping this today. And so we've been doing a lot of things to get ready. And one of those things was Ashley created her bio. And if oh, you is have that not, where you got it from? If you have not read her bio yet, go onto our website, scandalwaterpodcast.com. Take a look at her bio because she gives this huge shout out to Dick Van Dyke. And that is what inspired me oh, to do this episode that's today. So cool. Thank you so much. I just, you know, I have his autograph too. You do? I have Dick Van Dyke's autograph. How did you get his autograph? Well, I went through this period where it it started with my mom because I loved Annette Funicello. Mm -hmm. And I watched the Beach Party movies Mm. every winter. So for my 16th birthday, she wrote to Annette Funicello and asked her for, told her how much I loved her and asked for her autograph for me for my birthday. And she sent it. Oh, that is so cool. Yes. So it went for about two years there. We found the addresses of all these classic stars and just a hand wrote them. And I guess because I was a 16, 17 year old kid writing to all these classic Hollywood stars, a bunch of them, I didn't even do it the right way. I just sent them a letter. You're supposed to send them a self-addressed stamped envelope so they can just slip the eight by 10 headshot in and they will send it back to you. And I didn't do that. Hmm. But a bunch of them responded, I guess, because I was a kid. So for about two years. How sweet is that? The last one I got was Liza Minnelli. Oh my goodness. How many do you think you have? Are we talking like 50 or? Uh Yeah. That's amazing. Maybe not 50, maybe around 30, but I have all four Golden Girls. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Yes. (gasps) Love that. And I got Leslie Nielsen, Jack Jack Lemmon wrote Happy 17th Birthday. Wow. (sighs) Okay, so we, we need to get a picture of Dick Van Dyke's signature. Yes. On our website. Okay. In our photo gallery. Let's make sure we do that. Okay. Well. This episode is going to focus on the Dick Van Dyke Show, which, by the way, on October 3rd, we are on the 60th year anniversary of its premiere. How crazy is that? I I had no idea. Like, that absolutely floored me. Yes. But before we get into the show itself, I want to kind of finish up this little WandaVision, Dick Van Dyke overlap here because I found this fascinating. And I know probably a lot of our listeners are very interested in like the Marvel universe and and will probably find this interesting too. So bear with me because I am going to read some pieces from different sources here. Okay. But WandaVision, they said, gave a, just a beautiful tribute to the Dick Van Dyke show, of course, in their opening where they have... Vision bringing Wanda into the new house, and instead of tripping over that mm-hmm. living room footstool, which was you know mimicking, of course, the, the actual series, he uses his phasing ability and he walks straight through it. But what was really cool is I did not realize this, not being as versed in the Dick Van Dyke show as as maybe some people are, but the whole episode was actually very carefully mirrored off of an episode from the Dick Van Dyke show called It May Look Like a Walnut. Oh, the walnut episode. Okay, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Had you put that together before now? No. Okay. 
I think this is going to be then super cool. It was actually episode 20 from season two of the Dick Van Dyke show. Of course, Mm -hmm. back not even that long ago, they used to have like, you know, 20 or 24 episodes in a season. Now they don't do that anymore. But here's a quick summary from IMDb of that Dick Van Dyke episode. She comes, she falls out. He opens the closet and Laura, like, I think Laura surfs down, body surfs down this group of walnuts that's the what i remember from it i love it because that's actually the picture that comes up yes. like if you yes. if you google that episode you mm-hmm. get that picture a terrifying science fiction tv program grips rob while laura cowers under her bed covers trying in vain to ignore the show and its blood chilling music mm-hmm. when the show ends rob further tortures laura by acting out the tale of kolak a visitor from the planet Twilo who resembles Danny Thomas and deploys walnuts to destroy Earth's technological capacity by excising all Earthlings' thumbs and imaginations. Oh, the thumbs, right. So then Rob awakes in the morning to a living room strewn with walnuts and an eerily calm Laura who is preparing scrambled walnuts for Rob's breakfast. Is Rob dreaming? Is Laura having her revenge? Or is the valiant comedy writer the only one who can save the planet from descending into the pit of man's fears? This is pretty much the the summary that we find on IMDb. And from what I read in the sources, it said that this was a very unusual episode for the Dick Van Dyke show because it had that whole sci-fi element. And it was so it was it was a standout. Yes, it was. And it's usually the one that people talk about. When they think of the Dick Van Dyke show, and I don't even think it's their best episode. Mm-hmm. It's one of their weirder ones. Right. But it's the one that everybody thinks about. And they've done so many just fun other episodes. And I, I, maybe just because it was so odd, this is the one that everyone thinks of when they think of the show. Well, apparently it's what the WandaVision directors well, would, thought it would, of. It would fit because... in with their, yeah, with their sci-fi weirdness. So what I think is really cool is that the WandaVision creators wanted to talk to Dick Van Dyke in preparation for creating this episode. They actually set up a meeting between their director, Matt Shackman, and Dick Van Dyke which they held on the Walt Disney Studio film lot, I believe. Yeah, Dick's the only one left. Right. Because Rosemary just recently passed away, and then Carl Reiner mm-hmm. recently passed. So Dick is our only link left to that show. Oh. Other than Richie, I'm assuming. But Richie wasn't a main character. Mm-hmm. Their son. Yes, he is uh, He is still alive. Yeah. I looked him up. Yeah. But yes, as you said, I mean, who would you want to speak to? Of course, you'd want to go to Dick Van Dyke. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But their meeting took place at Club 33, which is an exclusive private club oh. located within Disneyland above the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Yes, I've heard of so this. So they had this meeting, and Dick gave him a lot of insights, and he was, of course, asking specifically a lot about this this walnut episode of Dick Van Dyke. So let me just share with you again. I apologize. I'm going to read different pieces. But here is an analysis from that article that I just referenced Uh talking about some of the overlap, some of the connections. It said, this episode was obviously chosen very intentionally by Marvel. The beginning of It May Look Like a Walnut mirrors WandaVision episode two, where Wanda and Vision are sleeping in two separate twin beds, similar to Rob and Laura's setup, and are scared of something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. In Wanda and Vision's case, it's noises coming from outside rather than a sci-fi movie, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the similarities are there. More importantly, a majority of It May Look Like a Walnut takes place inside of a dreamlike reality where the main character is unaware that what he's experiencing isn't real. Which is what Vision was doing. Exactly. Gotcha. This is similar to Vision's journey throughout WandaVision, where at first he believes everything to be normal, then begins to clue into the feeling that something about his reality is wrong. Right. Just as Rob questions his wife and co-workers about the sudden and mysterious appearance of the walnuts, 
Vision questions the people around him when he senses something is off. In both cases, everyone at first insists everything is normal, with the truth slowly unraveling that something is amiss as the show goes on. And then even in the two, in Dick Van Dyke, the final conflict ends up being that Rob's own wife is trying to use alien powers on him to turn turn him into something he's not. And then, of course... The same thing, we have Vision discovering that Wanda is the one controlling everything and actually has ulterior motives behind this, you know, seemingly picture-perfect life. Of course, it unravels there as well. So we have these definite connections. Yes, very good. Yeah, isn't that cool? That is really cool. All I saw was... As you said, the things that yeah. were very apparent, right, you know, yeah. the the costumes, the makeup, the black and white, you know, some of those things. I never would have seen all these overlaps. Mm-mm-mm. So let's get into the actual Dick Van Dyke show itself. All right. Okay. So as we said, the show premiered on October 3rd of 1961. That's actually my grandfather's birthday. Are you serious? Yes, it is. Yes. Well, that's cool. That is very cool. Well, it was one of the few sitcoms of its time to be filmed in front of a live audience, which I thought was interesting. Carl Reiner was the writer and the creator, and he Mm -hmm. based the character of Rob on himself. Right. I knew that. You knew that. And then he based Rob's egocentric boss, Alan Brady, on Milton Berle and Jackie Gleason. Mm, Yes. from Was it from when he wrote on your show of shows? Yes, he said it was inspired by his work as a writer for both your show of shows and Caesar's Hour. Okay, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he actually tried to do this show with himself as far as the main character, and it did not do very well. That is right. Yeah. I found that. It said that he even shot the pilot, I believe, and and did not not go go over He had to find somebody else to play him. (laughs) How bad is that? That that would probably take you down a notch or two yeah, the I'm episode thinking. that i remember is one of the standout episodes is where laura accidentally tells everybody that he wears a toupee oh yes yes, yes. yes i love and that then he, has to, he has all the toupee pieces on his wigs and he's like i can't wear these anymore <laughs> goodbye great. friends I love it. I love when you're when you're willing to poke fun at yourself. Yes, you yes. Know? That's great. So the show was actually going to be canceled after the first season, but Procter & Gamble was their sponsor, and they loved the show, and so they threatened to pull their advertising if the show was canceled. And then the show quickly improved in the ratings, mainly because it aired directly after the Beverly Hillbillies. So after that, it was a pretty big hit. That seems like a real strange pairing. It does. But then, I mean, you probably didn't have as many show choices back then, if you think about that's it. That's true. Yeah. But Beverly Hillbillies would have been good with Petticoat Junction. Oh, that's yeah, that does sound good. Well, as you know, Ashley, the premise of the show, it's, a, it's about a comedy writer. Do you say Rob Petrie or Petrie? Oh, Rob and Laura Pe- Petrie. Petrie? I, okay. I don't know. We'll, we'll go with that. Okay. And then if we're wrong... We will stand corrected. So Rob Petrie and his wife, Laura, Rob works on the variety show, The Alan Brady Show, with Sally Rogers and Buddy Sorrell, mm-hmm. played by actors Rosemarie and Maury Amsterdam. Amsterdam. You knew that. Mm-hmm. Rob and his co-workers, Buddy and Sally, are constantly cracking jokes in the writing room, which is part of why it's so funny. One of the running gags, as you've said, was, I think you've kind of alluded to it, is how they poke fun all the time, Buddy poking fun at the show's producer, Mel Cooley. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love how you're like picturing it. Yes. Laughing. Larry Matthews played Rob and Laura's son, Richie. And then Dick Van Dyke's real life brother, Jerry Van Dyke, even sometimes came on the show as Rob's brother, Stacy Petrie or Petrie. The Petrie family lives in New Rochelle, New York, and they frequently see their neighbors, who are also their close friends, Jerry and Millie. 
Helper, played by Jerry Paris and Ann Morgan Goulbert. I hope I get that. Wasn't he a dentist? Yeah, I think you're right. Jerry's a dentist. Mm-hmm. You've already said this, but for the casting, Carl was initially supposed to star in it. Uh, it was originally titled Head of the Family, but after the pilot didn't do so well, they decided they needed a newcomer and they brought in Dick Van Dyke. He was a Broadway star at the time. He was in Bye Bye Birdie mm-hmm. at that point that he was mm-hmm. offered the role and he had already been in some other Broadway things. So he was a little reluctant. But, of course, he he signed on. It talked about some of the other things that he had done in comedy or television was the Phil Silver Show, the Pat Boone Chevy Showroom, and the Polly Bergen Show. But Carl Reiner really liked him, and it said... Tell me again what year this released. 1961. Okay, so he wasn't quite to Mary Poppins. Right. So it really was kind of a risk to name this show after this kind of relative unknown, the Dick Van Dyke Show. Well, who's Dick Van Dyke? Now it'd be like, oh, the Dick Van Dyke Show! But back then, it's... Yeah, he wasn't. Who was that? Also, really good point. If I don't know if you're going to touch on this, but an amazing documentary is called "Wait for the Laugh," and Rosemary. It's kind of an interview with Rosemary, and it's about her life story. She was, you know, she she lived for a really long time. I think they did a Kickstarter Mm. and made this documentary. But one of the things that she said is that she was she was the biggest star. Oh, Rosemary has been around as long as entertainment has been around. She started off as little Rosemary, where she was like three years old and singing and all this kind of stuff. But when this came around, she was under the impression that she was going to be the female lead, female lead, and that Carl Reiner said to her, kind of to ease her little ego, said, "Well, this is about me." And my experience as a writer and about my family. And so it's going to focus more on my home life than my office life. And mm-hmm. you're in the office part. Because she kind of had a little jealousy about right. Mary Tyler Moore being this cute young thing that came in and mm-hmm. was getting all the attention. Right. And I think they kind of were cordial with each other, but they were never really close, buddy, buddy, close. Mm-hmm. And the other trivia that I thought was super sad is... When you watch that show, Rosemary always has a hair bow in her hair. Yes. And she had this husband that she was desperately in love with. They had this true Hollywood, beautiful romance. And he passed away from some kind of cancer that they could not figure out what it was. Like Jerry Lewis even called in, called all the doctors. Because Jerry Lewis was starting his telethon stuff. And he Mm -hmm. called everybody he knew. And he said, whatever you can do to heal this man. Because they, he, and he was the trumpeter on the Bing Crosby radio show, there oh, was this wow. solo trumpet. I think he was, I'm going to say trumpet. I hope I'm, I hope I'm not wrong, but he did the solo and, um, he died. And after his death, she wore a black bow. So to every, honor him. to honor him. So every time you wow. see her on that show, if she's wearing a black bow, it is after her husband's death. If it's a different color, he is alive. Wow. Yes. I mean, she's somebody else we need to do an episode we, about. I was going to say there's a lot of material oh, here. Oh, my gosh. I've got, like, the goosebumps because she was just, she opened Las Vegas. She opened Las she Vegas. She was a huge star. She was a huge star. No, I mean, when Las Vegas was, like, a thing, here's one hotel. What's the first act we're going to put out there? It was Rosemary. This is so interesting yes. because I know her of nothing, from nothing, except yes. this, this She role. was huge. She was a huge star. She ended up doing... A four-woman show with Rosemary Clooney later, Hmm. and she's just a fascinating life. But wait for the laugh. I will put a link in our show notes for this. Yes, please do. It's a wonderful documentary. Wow. Okay, well, that was... Oh, she also knew Al Capone. (gasps) Yeah, she she had a meeting with Al Capone, and he's like, 
you can call me Uncle Al. And if you ever need anything, <laughs> you just let Uncle Al know. So when okay. the mob is like, hey, just consider me your family. Definitely an episode yes. down, down the road, yes. for sure. Wow. Okay. Sorry, sorry. No, that was great. Well, okay. Back to Dick Van Dyke for just a second, though. It said that Carl Reiner had so much respect for Dick Van Dyke and thought he was so incredibly talented. In fact, there was a quote, Carl Reiner talking in a 2018 interview, and his quote says... As a matter of fact, Steve Martin once said that in all of show business, nobody is more talented than Dick Van Dyke, and I agree with that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, the casting for Laura, which you've already alluded to, was more difficult. They said Mm -hmm. over 60 actresses auditioned, including, of course, Mary Tyler Moore. But she almost didn't go. Her agent had to convince her to go. She didn't think she had a chance. And it said that initially Dick Van Dyke did not want her to play the part. Too young. Too young. She Mm -hmm. was 11 years younger. Mm -hmm. But after they danced together on the episode, Oh, How We Met on the Night That We Danced, he thought their chemistry was so good that he felt great about it after that. And he, I think... I think it was always about whether or not the audience would buy it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he had a he had a quote that he said this is much later in life in an interview he said of course I had a crush on her mm-hmm. almost instantly I think the greatest compliment we ever had is that most people thought we were married in real life everyone thought we were actually married yes which is I think the highest compliment I ever had as an actor yes and that's why in the Mary Tyler Moore show they were afraid. Wasn't she, was she a divorcee on that show or something? I believe so. And they were afraid that everyone would think she had been divorced, divorced from, from Dick Ro- Van Dyke. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Do you have on there about her pants? I do. Okay. Okay. It's coming. Okay. <laughs> it said though that it was very intentional. I love this. One of the sources said that Carl Reiner gave the writers the strictest guideline from the very beginning that Rob and Laura's relationship had to be one of equals. Yes. They wanted it to be two people against the world. And he was basing the relationship on his own marriage with his wife, Estelle, who passed away in 2008. Mm. She was the one who said, I'll have what she's having in yes. When Harry Met yes. Sally. And the source that I was reading said that Carl respected her so much and that she was so brilliantly funny. This person talking about them said, she wouldn't let you get away with anything. There was a dignity in their relationship, and that was something that you had to write to for Rob and Laura. They were partners, and that is what Carl had instructed this guy. Hmm. So I thought that was beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Dick Van Dyke show was groundbreaking in a few different ways. And so I wanted to kind of hit on just a couple different places. And you've already alluded to one. Mm-hmm. They said that in terms of feminism, it pushed things forward mm-hmm. in a few mm-hmm. different ways. And of course, this was due in part to Mary Tyler Moore. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason the show was so successful was that there was none other like it on air at that time. It was kind of one of a kind. Unlike the other family sitcoms on the air, Mary Tyler Moore did not play a typical housewife, like right. what you would see on Leave it to Beaver, which right, I think was right, right. the typical mom there. She's the one who opted to wear capris instead of a standard dress. So Mary Tyler Moore herself gave a quote to little interview to TV Guide in 2004, and here's what she said. I had Laura wear pants because I said, women don't wear full-skirted dresses to vacuum in. CBS said, you know, we're afraid that housewives are going to be a little annoyed because she looks so good in pants. (laughs) So they made Carl Reiner promise not to let me wear pants in more than one scene. We went along with that for about three episodes, and then finally, I was just wearing the pants. And it goes on to say, Capri's became Laura's trademark and as a result, a huge fashion trend of the early 1960s. 
Yes, and it's it's like uh, Fonzie's leather jacket. You have to have the motorcycle in every anytime the leather jacket appears. We'll make sure the motorcycle's there. So she just did the pan. She just did it, yeah. and there you go. And of I course, love capris. I think they're very flattering. Oh, she looked amazing in everything. But yeah, they were definitely flattering on yeah. her. But then it also talked about how she went on to become an early feminist in the entertainment industry with the Mary Tyler Moore Show, mm-hmm. and and they, you know, in many ways, she pushed against the gender expectations of that time period in all of her work. Right. So this is a small little thing, but here's another little instance of kind of pushing back against some of the norms of the time. It said during season two of the show. Kent Cigarettes sponsored the Dick Van Dyke show. And cast members were supposed to make all these different little in-house commercials talking about the virtues of Kent Cigarettes. And it was a way to promote it for their sponsor. Okay. But Dick Van Dyke was not comfortable with pitching cigarettes on this family show. Yeah, yeah. And so he complained and they eventually got rid of the Kent endorsements just because he spoke up against it. Good for him. Because mm-hmm. I thought, I don't remember that. And I guess because he Because didn't he got rid of it. Now, one of the most significant contributions that they talk about with the Dick Van Dyke show was was doing a little bit to push against some of the color barriers. Okay. So here's here's kind of some interesting information that I did not know about. Okay. A quote from Carl Reiner. We reflected what was going on at that time, but we were very conscious of raising the issues. Okay. That was something that he specifically wanted to do. He wanted to think about things that were current, things that were going on, and sometimes he wanted to to kind of be a little edgy, you know, in, in addressing some things that maybe other people weren't willing to do that. And so they said that this really came out in an episode called That's My Boy. And they said that this was even risky for Mm. Carl Reiner to do at the time. Okay. So here's a short episode summary. It said, Laura had just given birth to their child, Richie. The hospital keeps confusing the Petries with the Peters. Oh, yeah. Do you you know this one? Uh, Keep going. Okay. Well, if you want to jump in at any point, you No, go. I just remember that, that line. So okay. I... Yeah, keep going. Okay. Well, the Peters were the couple in the next hospital room. Yes. So when the Petries come home, Rob becomes convinced they have the wrong baby. He invites the Peters over to make the switch. And what happens, they're, Ashley? They're African-American. They're a black couple. Yeah. Right. So when Rob opens the door, the African-American couple walks in. Now, it says... Of course, we're thinking, well, this is not a big deal. But it talks about in a couple of different sources how bad the racism was at this time just how just how touchy it was like they said in 1963 at the beginning of the civil rights movement like it was crazy to think about doing something like this the article pointed out one one article that i was reading pointed out that this was 5 years before there was a Petula Clark variety special that caused incredible controversy because the singer touched Harry Belafonte's arm during the oh, duet i know gosh. it's crazy that's terrible so when Carl was talking about doing this episode... He and this was, was five years before that? Five years before that. Wow. The network called him and said, you don't want to go in this direction right now. And Carl said he would quit the show if they Good didn't you, let him Carl. do it. So Carl invited the censors to come and see the live filming to, to gauge what the audience reaction was. And Carl said, I guarantee you the audience knows where our heart is, and they're either going to applaud or they're going to laugh heartily. And he said that's exactly what happened. In fact, Dick Van Dyke is quoted as saying that it was the longest laugh he had ever experienced in his entire show business life. Well, He said, quote, we just cut the cameras because they laughed and laughed and cheered. It was amazing. That's wonderful. This was what I really enjoyed reading. It's a little excerpt from Mental Floss. It's called uh, Six Little Known Facts About the Dick Van Dyke Show. Mm -hmm. And this explanation 
helped, I think, point out for me why this was an important step forward at that particular point in history. So here's one more little excerpt, guys. From a 21st century point of view, it seems ridiculous to praise a series for using African-American actors in roles other than maids or railroad porters. But when the Dick Van Dyke show premiered, the world of primetime sitcoms was a different place. Even though the civil rights movement was slowly progressing, TV was still dragging its feet when it came to change. As a result, one of the most popular episodes of The Dick Van Dyke Show, That's My Boy, almost didn't make it to film. In the episode, exhausted and overwrought new dad Rob was convinced the hospital had sent him and Laura home with the wrong baby. A couple named the Peters had welcomed a baby in the same hospital on the same day in a similar hospital room number, and the Petries had even received some of the Peters' gifts in error. The comedic and controversial payoff to the episode arrived when Mr. and Mrs. Peters visited the Petrie household and were revealed to be a black couple played by Greg Morris and Mimi Dillard. The positive response from the studio audience gave producer Sheldon Leonard the confidence to sign Bill Cosby for a co-starring role in a new series he was producing. I Spy. I Spy. Wow. Yeah. So it seems sad to be praising them for doing that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I guess for that time period, that was a step forward that led to some positive change. Yeah. And then the conversation about Bill Cosby is completely separate because look what what that turned out to be. But the, the point is there. Right. Right. One thing they couldn't beat the twin beds yeah (laughs) they could not get those (laughs) censors to change it he said carl reiner said he thought it was so silly and he kept pushing on it he said most of america sleeps in the same bed but the censors and the cbs executives just wouldn't do it Mm. so he literally said i was angry about that forever (laughs) (laughs) i understand you accomplishments the dick mansion dyke show had so many accomplishments it was one of those shows one of the few shows that ended while it was on top It ran for five seasons. Just five? Just five. Wow. It ended in June of 1966. It was also the last show to be filmed entirely in black and white. Had it come back for season six, it would have been officially upgraded to color. Aww. But here's something cool. From the very start, Carl Reiner thought that it would be something special. He said that he knew the one thing that was absolutely necessary was not to use any slang of the day because I knew this would have lasting value. Yes, yes, yes. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's the evergreen language. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my mom and our, our Rebecca are co-writing another play together, and we made it. It's it's based in history. It's based in the 20s and 30s, but we've made a very conscious decision mm-hmm. to use evergreen language. So because, that you won't date it. Yeah, so that it, even though it's about... a period in history we're not going to use the language it would take away from it because you wouldn't understand what the slang was mm-hmm. it would lose a lot of it you'd be sitting there going what are they talking about right. for most of the thing okay Langu- i love that no language matters yeah it does Carl Reiner also said the Dick Van Dyke show is hands down the thing he is most proud of in his career. He said it was not because of its Emmy Awards at 115 or because it's frequently cited as one of the best TV series of all times. Mm -hmm. Here's what Carl Reiner said he was most proud of. It was because Dick Van Dyke inspired generations of comedy writers. Mm Mm-hmm. In a quote, an interview, he said, I've heard it hundreds of times from people who tell me that as kids, they didn't know that writers wrote comedians' lines. Hmm. I told that story on Conan, and he said, I was one of those kids. Hmm. So the TV series did rack in 15 Emmy Awards, 
Carl Reiner three times won Outstanding Writing Achievement in Comedy. Dick Van Dyke won three times Outstanding Continued Performance by an Actor in a Series. And Mary Tyler Moore won twice for Outstanding Continued Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role in a Comedy Series. So, Armchair Psychologist. For our armchair psychologist, it's not really anything fun that we get to dig into. It's just kind of a lighthearted little Mm -hmm. question to throw at you. It's just something we can bounce around a little bit. When I was doing this research, I came across something that I did not know. What? The Dick Van Dyke Show theme song has words. Has words, yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I don't know what they are, but I knew that they had words. Okay, well, you're about to hear them. You can even... (laughs) That's, That's where awesome. he dripped. And sometimes he wouldn't drip. Sometimes he would go around the ottoman. That's right. I love it. Well, okay. Dick Van Dyke, on an appearance with the Rachel Ray show in 2011 with Mary Tyler Moore, sang it. So let me see if I can find it. I sure do. Okay. Right, you want to hear it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't think it's in public. So you think that you've got trouble? Well, troubles are bubble. So tell old Mr. Trouble to get lost. Why not hold your head up high and stop crying? Start trying. And don't forget to keep your fingers crossed. When you find the joy of living is loving and giving, you'll be there when the winning dice are tossed. A smile is just a frown that's turned upside down. So smile and that's found or defrost. And don't forget to keep your fingers crossed. What do you do? I love them so much. They're awesome. Do you know who wrote that? Uh, no, who? Maury Amsterdam. Maury! He had a joke for everything. They said that his (laughs) trick was you could just ask him for a joke at any time and he could come up with a joke. I love that. They're a great group. So I thought that was just so lighthearted and fun. I thought we might just talk about what are a few of the other theme songs that stand out to us as being particularly clever or catchy. Just anything memorable about it. Since we're in the more casual part, sorry about my cats. My cat just came in the room and decided to use the uh, scratching post. And my other cat is... My deaf cat, Scotty, is sitting here breathing. So that is what you've heard all episode. <laughs> I could kick them out, but then you would hear a lot of ruckus. Uh, other fun, well, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Mm, that's that's a, a good one. That's a good one. It's a classic. Um, then I always liked, you have all the, the family ties and the growing pains and all those uh, Ellen Thicke written oh, ones. Those mm-hmm. were good. Patty Duke show. That was a fun Because one. of the way they would mirror each other. No, just the lyrics to the song. Oh. But you're asking about a fun, a fun song. Mm-hmm. They're cousins, identical cousins. It's just a fun song. That I have a whole a CD. I have a CD of TV themes. Do you really? I was I, wondering how you were pulling this out so easily. I, I was do. like, I, oh, I haven't heard it in years. But yes, it's over there behind you. You're rattling off four at a time while I'm still I trying know. to pull up the theme song from the first one you said. <laughs> no. I used to listen to them. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. I think that one of the catchiest probably would have to be The Addams Family. Oh, yes. Everybody knows that one. Mm -hmm. Yes. The the clicks and... Yep. mm -hmm. They're creepy and they're ooky or something. Mysterious and spooky. They're all together, ooky. The Addams Family. (laughs) (laughs) Beverly Hillbillies is another... Oh, that was a good um, one. Uh, listen to a story about a man named Jed. Poor mountaineer barely kept, kept his family fed. fed. Then one day he was shooting at some gruel up, up from the ground came a bubbling gruel. Oh. Oil, that is. <laughs> Black just, gold. That's right, Texas tea. <laughs> so it's just this stuff that sticks in your mm-hmm. head. 
you can yeah. re remember it forever. That's the best thing about it when it's catchy like that. Yeah. And it also tells the story. You know, it, it gives you yeah, and, the whole context. And it's kind of funny because when we asked Josh Martin to write our theme song, that's mm -hmm. what we told him. We said mm -hmm. we want it to be one of those catchy, head bopping, Absolutely. TV theme songs. And, and I love it. That's he why did I a like, beautiful job. He did do a great love job. Love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Gilligan's Island. Oh, yeah. My brother loved Gilligan's Island. Mm -hmm. We could probably go on for days. With we this. could. Yeah. So, <laughs> so maybe, what do you think is your favorite? Oh, I don't. I could. I would have to like list all of them and then and then start analyzing and evaluating. I don't think I could just pop out with like my favorite. Well, let me ask you a question. Oh, gosh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn okay. it on you. Okay. Being somebody that's just coming into the Dick Van Dyke show, why do you feel like it was so successful that it's still inspiring i mean like i'm smiling this whole hour mm -hmm. i've been just smiling i love them so much what do you think made it so popular oh that's funny i don't know that i have a lot of background knowledge i've caught little bits and pieces i think of a few different episodes in my lifetime but based on my limited knowledge i think it goes back to relationships i think it's always about relationships mm -hmm. you believe the marriage you love them together but then you loved how you loved how the coworkers interacted you yeah. loved even when they were supposed to be antagonistic you you could sense i think the the loving relationship between the boss and the and the the writers. I mean, so I it's coming down to actor chemistry. Yes. There, there you go. That's a yeah. good one. Yes. Chemistry, but also believing, feeling like these are real people mm -hmm. and their relationships with each other as characters. The like, writing too. Yes. Yes. I think that's it for me. Yeah. It's just, it was a marvelous show. I don't, I don't know of any modern show that is its equivalent. I still mm. think it holds up to the modern shows. There's just, they're magic. There's just something magical about these perfectly cast people in a well-written show it's this little cauldron of amazement mm -hmm. i just love it i love everything about it thank you for doing this episode you're so welcome i've been looking forward to this for like two weeks <laughs> you kept you kept uh, dropping little hints like you're gonna love it you're gonna <laughs> love it and i'm like okay that's okay i hope i do and you're I like did. quit building it up you're gonna like set me up to be disappointed yep, yep, yep. <laughs> well who do you want to cheers i know who i want to cheers well then call it girl i want to say cheers to dick van dyke i love you you are one of my heroes and thank you for the years of entertainment cheers this episode of scandal water was executive produced by candy thomas that's me and Ashley Raymer Brown. That's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. All music was written, composed, performed, and mixed by Josh Martin. The artwork was designed by Matt C. Adams, while our website was developed by Joshua Reith. If you like what you hear and you want to help keep the scandal water brewing, please go to our website, scandalwaterpodcast.com. Just click on your podcatcher of choice, then hit follow to subscribe. And while you're there, you might as well leave us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget, it's always more fun when you share your tea with others. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests advertisers or clearly professional psychologists thanks for listening